Welcome to Can, Can We, we talk, talk About this? this? I'm your host, Amberly from The Power of Birth. And I'm your producer, Rajelle from Be Designs. And together we created this podcast to talk about women's health and the things that really matter. We have a real passion and focus on women's health and wellness and overall emphasize the importance of talking about maternal health. We chat to experts and continue sharing your stories. We're here to start the conversation, raise awareness, spread the word, call out gaps in the system and implicit biases. And we hope you learn something or even if you're just screaming yes the entire podcast. This is not a place for small talk. We're about real talk. And when we know better, we do better. And we challenge you to start this conversation elsewhere. If you subscribe to our website, you'll receive a free printable PDF file with over 30 motherhood affirmations. I wrote these affirmations at a time when I needed them and realized they could actually help others. You can use them as a bookmark, put them on your mirror, bedside table, fridge, or even the back of your toilet door, wherever you want, to help remind you of your strength, give yourself compassion, recognize perfectionism, rage, guilt, overwhelm, and enhance self-belief, self-love, and self-acceptance. You can give them to your family and friends. It would actually be the perfect gift for a new mom. Words have power, and I hope you'll be kind to yourself in this hard but worthwhile time. Head to thepowerofbirth.net to subscribe and download your free motherhood affirmations today. In this episode, I'm chatting with a friend of mine, Cherie Ketter. Cherie is a mum of two and works as a flight attendant and also studies nutrition. She loves good, wholesome food and has a lot of lovable quirks about her. She's had a very difficult time throughout her motherhood journey and has grown to be strong and kind and compassionate and has become a real advocate for women's health from her own experiences with endometriosis and adenomyosis. And today she's here to share her story. Do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us about your family, what you're up to, a little bit about you. Um, I'm Cherie. I am 28. I'm the mum of two boys, Lane, who is three, he just turned three, and Emerson, who is one and a half. Um, I run a little Instagram on the side, could go good wholesome food. That's no plug at all, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) you can plug away. (laughs) And, um, yeah, so that kind of birthed my interest in nutrition and things like that. So I'm also studying a bachelor of health science, majoring in nutrition and dietetic medicine, which will then just make me a clinical nutritionist at the end. And I'm a flight attendant. I feel busy, but everyone's busy. Yeah, I mean, two kids and your husband runs his own business oh, yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. And you know more study than me about me. <laughs> <laughs> I have to, that's yeah. my job. <laughs> um, yeah, life is full on. Yeah. Life is full on. Absolutely. And so how, how far through your degree are you? Because you've changed from teaching to this. Yeah, so I did two years of my teaching degree. And although I love kids, like I, I was just more interested in nutrition. I wasn't really getting anything out of my studies. My heart wasn't in it. And I'm so interested in like nutrition and, you know, raising healthy boys and like nourishing myself. So I thought, well, this is just a passion of mine. So I'm going to study it. And so far I'm so interested in it. And I'm about three quarters of the way through my first year. I've absolutely smashed out this year, which is crazy. So I started in April this year. So what do you do when you have a minute to breathe? uni <laughs> no um so every time that emerson i get that yeah. <laughs> so emerson has a nap in the morning uh that is lane's tv time so that lasts about an hour and a half and so lane watches his show 
Emerson's asleep and I do uni for that whole time. However, I have actually been able to find a really good balance between working. So like on a, I work a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Thursday I usually start late. The boys go to daycare and then I study in the morning before I go to work. So being a flight attendant has its pros in the fact that it's like shift work. So it does have those odd hours that I can kind of fit more into. But to relax at night, I just mindlessly watch Netflix. You have had a very full on couple of years. Yeah. And I want to say your life has been full on since I've known you. And, I've, and you were in my ground school. Yeah. So I've known That's you a, for how long has it yeah, been? Yeah, like now? nine years or something. Nine years. My gosh. I miss flying with you. Yeah, it was so fun. I remember before you'd had babies, you had discovered that you'd had endometriosis. Yeah. And this was quite a battle for you. And you then went on to have babies, but then was also recently diagnosed with adenomyosis. So I just want to know a little bit about your story here and did this impact your fertility? How did you go about receiving a diagnosis? What were your signs and symptoms? Um, Can you tell me a little bit about it? I love talking about endometriosis and adenomyosis, especially (laughs) adenomyosis, as it's like much less known about. And Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that adenomyosis in, say, five years will be where endometriosis is now because, you know, five years ago, really no one knew about endometriosis either. So I think that both of those are coming a really long way in being known about. Um, But when I was 13, just to give a bit of brief history, I got my period. When I was 13, periods were so bad, so heavy Um, I would black out from the pain. I would be sweating, shaking. And um, I went and saw my GP, like probably about uh, like six months afterwards. And um, she was just a family GP. And she was just like, oh, that's just normal period pain, Mm. which is it's not. And that's Mm -hmm. a classic response. But she told me to go on the pill, which is also a classic response. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, being 13, I went and followed the doctor's advice and I went on the pill and that did offer some reprieve in the fact that it like made my cycles regular. So they were really out of whack and it did make them regular. So at least I knew when they were coming and I could plan for that, but it's really just a band aid and it has no benefit for endometriosis. And in fact, it can actually make it much worse to be taking the pill. So I don't actually recommend that to anyone and I'm not on the pill anymore. Um, Mm. But yeah, I was taking codeine to go to sleep for like 10 to 14 nights of the month at 13 years old every month because that's the only way I could sleep. I would have to take wow. I would have to take it in the day as well and obviously miss a lot of school and things like that because of it. But yeah, it wasn't until I was newly married in 2016 that I was having dinner with a friend and she was talking about her history of pain for periods and her diagnosis with endometriosis. And it would just like hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, I have that. I know I have that. And that was the first time I had ever heard the word endometriosis. So that was yeah, like five years ago, five years ago. Yeah. And so I saw her gynecologist like immediately. And he was like, I want to do a laparoscopy because there is no other way to diagnose endometriosis other than a laparoscopy. So I was actually a little bit scared at the time. So I actually mulled on it for a while. And so it actually took me a year to make the choice to have a laparoscopy. 
Um, and obviously nothing changed in that time. My pain wasn't getting any better. And so I had the laparoscopy and I was diagnosed with endometriosis. Um, he removed it from like, like pelvic wall, a few other places. And, um, I don't know, I felt really validated to hear that there was actually something wrong after all that time. And so that was that. And that was 2017. And then after I had Emerson, which is my second baby in 2020, when my period returned, which was seven months postpartum, I had like horrible ovulation pain. And that was like a real warning sign for me because I'd only ever had period pain before. And so it was like, oh, this is a little bit different. And so it wasn't allowing me to get up. I would just have to be bedridden. I couldn't walk. Like the pain was so bad. And it was like specifically like, I know this is my ovaries. Like I can feel it in that exact spot. It feels like I'm being stabbed. So um, I looked up a really good surgeon and over the past five years, I've really been able to learn more and know more about okay, well, I don't want to see a general gynecologist who deals with everything. I want to see someone who specializes in this area. So I found a really good doctor. It took me five months to get in to see him for my first appointment. And then I was booked in for surgery the next week. And so I had the surgery. And when I woke up, I had a text from him because it was like really late at night. My surgery wasn't until like 5 p.m. Um, and it said that we removed a small amount of endometriosis. However, adenomyosis is your problem this time and it's quite advanced. So to hear that, it was just like such a relief. Um, being a mum was a little bit different going into surgery than before I was a mum, because when you're a mum, you can't just step out and, you know, get your nails done, get your hair down, whatever, let alone go out and have an operation, stay the night in the hospital and be like incapacitated for the next week. So there's actually a lot of guilt around having an invisible disease that impacts your ability to be a mother in the way that you want to be and be, you know, a good wife as well. Um, so yeah, so I was just, I, I was so relieved when he told me that there was something there because it, it was yeah. time, it was money, and it wasn't all in my head. Wow. That's <laughs> a lot. Yeah. And so with the diagnosis of adenomyosis, did he, was that something he was able to remove? I'm still learning about these specific conditions so yeah what's the go so with adenomyosis unfortunately like with endometriosis you can have it removed uh and then it should relieve your symptoms for a certain period of time like it can still grow back i think the chances are like 30 percent of growing back or something like that whereas adenomyosis it actually it's your the lining of your uterus that grows through the muscles of your uterine wall so it's actually a big problem because every month, like what your lining does is actually sheds and that's your period. Uh, however, it's still doing that, but within the muscles of your uterus. So it's still bleeding and it's still shedding and it's causing cramping, but it's, it can't remove itself essentially. So it's just, yeah, there's nothing. Sorry. The only cure is a hysterectomy. And, um, I'm obviously not going to get a hysterectomy now and I I think that is in my future but it's just too much of a big decision to make it's now. Massive. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like you're 28. Yeah, I know. And so this is you live with this kind of pain every month. Yeah, so about 10 to 14 days of every month, which is like half my life. <laughs> 
which is just crazy. <laughs> like my Sindel night strength worked when I was younger and it would still work now, but that stuff, you know, it can be addictive. It's not something that you want to take all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try and do as much as I can, like in the way of turmeric and NAC, which are supplements that are meant to be really good for endometriosis, but I still have to take other things. Yeah. How do you continue studying and working and raising your boys uh, in pain? Uh, like, how do you do that? I, um, I really don't know. I just, I just yeah. have to keep going, you know, like just as a mum, you just always have to keep going. So that's the hard thing about being a mum. Honestly, underline it. You just have to keep going. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Like you just have to keep going. Um, I just have to plan for it and prepare for it. Like I'll know when it's coming. I'll have the right medication there. I've got two heat packs. Um, Jordan is really supportive. So he obviously does as much as he can throughout that time, like bathing the boys and things like that, that I I feel like I can't do. I just can't believe that this has happened to you. And my understanding of endometriosis as well, before I get to the endometriosis. So when you have a laparoscopy, you then it's removed and you have like a, a window, so to speak, of being able to fall pregnant. Because I believe if you have endo, it can be really difficult to fall pregnant. Uh, yeah, yeah. For some people, it can be really difficult. Yeah. So once you have it removed, then you have some kind of window for your fertility before it potentially comes back. Yeah. But then also, is adenomyosis completely separate to endo or are they is one kind of a uh i want to say prerequisite but mm-hmm. is that the right word they they are like they say that like adenomyosis is the cousin of endometriosis but you don't have to have one to have the other but they are yeah. similar disease, similar conditions in that um like the lining of the uterus is that's this it's similar to the lining of the uterus that is endometriosis that grows on the organs and it is the lining of the uterus that grows through the uterus um so they are similar in that way but you don't have to have one to have the other you can have adenomyosis and not have endometriosis yeah okay and if there's people listening that haven't had a diagnosis and or maybe haven't recognized that their periods maybe there's some underlying condition what would you say to them if they're listening and they're going oh this is me i have these symptoms um, I would say that period pain is common, but it's not normal. So if you have to take anything more than a Panadol for some mild discomfort during your period or during ovulation or any time of the month that's in the pelvic area, I would go to your GP and I would get a referral to see a gynecologist. And if your GP doesn't give that to you, then see a different GP because women need to be heard about their physical pain and not overlooked. Yeah, absolutely. So despite your endo and adeno, yeah. I'm going to use the abbreviations because they, they are yeah. mouthful. What, throughout all of this, you'd been married and decided to start a family. Did you have any fertility struggles, falling pregnant? Um, I was so, so lucky. So um, I was one of those people that loved kids and I loved my friends, kids. I just love being around kids. And so after my surgery in 2017, my gynecologist said that if we wanted to try like around now would be the best time. Like he didn't necessarily give me a window, but he said like, 
it will be the best time if you want to try now. So a couple months later, after I'd recovered, we did try and I fell pregnant the first time that we tried yeah, with wow. Lane. So yeah, we were very lucky. Mm. And so how were your pregnancies then? Um, my pregnancy with Lane was physically harder than my pregnancy with Emerson. So I was much bigger and Lane was much bigger than Emerson was, but um, I had like severe back pain and it was just terrible. So from about 24 weeks onwards, I had pregnancy insomnia. It was just because I, I couldn't like stand up for too long, sit down for too long, uh, lie down for too long. So it was just like by 1am, it was like I was in so much pain that I just had to stand up and walk around and then sit down. And so I just couldn't lie down after 1am. So I'd go to bed at like 8.30 and stay in bed till one and then get up and read a book. And yeah, but my second pregnancy with Emerson was physically less tolling besides the two lots of kidney stones that I had when I was pregnant with him. Oh yes, I remember. Yeah. (gasps) Yeah. That was, that was really bad. That was so bad. Did you think you were in labor? No, I didn't. I was like, everyone asks me that and I have no idea why I didn't think that for a couple of weeks leading up to the event. Um, I thought that I had like a UTI and I'd never had one before, but I just needed to pee all the time. And whenever I went to the toilet, nothing came out. So I'd actually been tested a week prior um, for a UTI and it came back negative. So I was like, oh, okay, like it must be fine. Um, and I had really bad pack back pain with Lane. So this is with Emerson and I was 21 weeks pregnant and we were driving to the coast and um, I just got the most horrific pain in my left kidney, like in my back and around towards my front. And I was thinking maybe this is just back pain, like, like it was with Lane, but it got so severe that I was crying. And um, Jordan was like, are we going to do anything? We were on our way to a holiday for New Year's, which is a classic. Um, and I was like, no, 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 no. I'll be fine. Like, let's just get to the apartment. And um, Elaine and Jordan were downstairs in the car park. I just went upstairs um, to get ready in the unit, like to put all the stuff in the unit and lie down. Um, but it like worsened tenfold up there. And Jordan was in the car park downstairs with Lane asleep in the back and no reception. So I'm upstairs dying and I'm in the shower on all fours with like hot water on me and I'm just like not coping at all. And I called Jordan, no joke, 56 times to see if he had reception and it just went straight to message bank. And finally he showed up like he wasn't getting any of these messages. He was just completely unaware in the car thinking that he's doing the best thing for Lane, letting him have a little nap. Um, and then I had to go straight to hospital and actually for this one, the, um, paramedic just completely didn't believe me. She was just like, yeah, okay. You've got like some kind of pain, but it's, you know, not a big deal. We could just tell that she didn't really care about what's happening. But, um, (gasps) like Jordan had to pick me up and like dress me to go in the ambulance. And I was vomiting, um, because he like, when he lifted my left leg, which then triggered like the pain in my back and left kidney, but I just vomited everywhere because the pain that it triggered in my back was just so bad. And, um, I got to hospital and it was so funny because I was envisioning this like amazing labor with Emerson that was drug free and all of that. And then I get to the hospital and I'm just like, give everything that you've got to me. I need it all. I couldn't speak. I was actually, it looked like I was having a fit. I was shaking uncontrollably for hours and it was just the worst thing ever. 
Um, nothing that they were giving me. They were giving me morphine and fentanyl, I think, yeah. um, through a drip every 10 minutes. And for two hours, it did absolutely nothing. I was just convulsing on the bed in so much pain. And then finally it kind of set. The pain just came down a little bit. Um, and then I was in hospital for three days. So our entire New Year's holiday, which was lovely. Um, and then I went home and the week later we put Lane into daycare and Jordan and I thought we'd go on a little movie date. And I was like, Jordan, I've definitely got kidney stones. Take me back to the hospital. So then we went to the hospital, but it was actually much better that time because I was able to get pain relief before the pain got to 10 out of 10. Yeah. Okay. I'm really shocked that that kind of pain didn't put you into labor. Yeah, I was, I was really lucky. They said if I had kidney stones one more time, they would wanted to operate, but they really wouldn't like to operate until like 24 weeks. And I was 21 weeks at the time. So I had it, I had the kidney stones the two times and then, yeah, I was just lucky that I didn't have it again, but I was constantly waiting. I was like feeling a pain in my back and I was like, is it happening again? But it didn't. Wow, that's already a lot. And we haven't even really even this is Scratched the tip of the, the iceberg. This, yeah. this is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. So we've shared your birth experiences on Instagram, Facebook and the blog. So we won't go into them yeah. too much in detail here. People, if they like, I can link it to your episode. That way they can go and read read them. Just for time's sake, not because they're not important. How do you feel about your birth experiences and what model of care did you have? So I had, I went private with both boys, which means I saw an obstetrician and I saw him like every two weeks up until I gave birth, which was great for me because I'm a control freak. Um, and, but when you, when you go private, you only have one six week visit with your OB and they just tell you like, if you're planning to have sex, you know, what type of contraception you're going to use because breastfeeding isn't enough it's not going to safeguard you so that's really the only conversation that I had both times so wait privately you don't get postpartum appointments no you you just get get one six week and you don't get a midwife to visit you so you don't get the midwife visit at all um so actually with Lane I paid for a private midwife to come out and see me Mm -hmm. um in that time I had the baby blues and it was actually just great just having a chat with a mother herself and a midwife who could just answer my questions being a first time mom. And you just, I don't know. It's just not the same seeing one, a male obstetrician and having that six week appointment and just talking about contraception. Um, yeah, no, so not good enough. if we do have a third, I am going to go public instead of private and I'm going to hire a private midwife to go along with me on the journey and come to the birth. And I just think that I'm going to set myself up for a positive outcome. Now, I'm not putting um, like expectations on myself or expectations for my next pregnancy, but I'm just putting in place these safeguards to assist me the best I can. So in I'll go public, I'll have a private midwife who will come to my house for appointments and she'll be there for the birth. And postpartum, I can call her with any questions that I have privately yeah it was amazing that I had Jordan there with me you know and the care was amazing in this the hospital but like looking I'm a very prideful person so I I, I'm angry that I made the decision to go private but like 
like the stay itself was amazing, but I saw my obstetrician when I was, when the baby was coming out, you know what I mean? Like I was in labor with midwives I've never met. So I I was in a stark white room, like no one ever turned the lights off. Like I was so shocked when I went in there and it was so bright. It just like threw me and it threw me off, you know, like you're trying to like focus in on having a baby and you go into this medical, like ideally I would love a home birth. But after your first birth, how were you feeling? How was postpartum for you? Um, well, I'll start by talking about my experience during pregnancy with Emerson because that changed the trajectory. So it's, I started to feel off in around March, 2020. Emerson was born in May, 2020. Um, in March, Lane was in daycare. I was still working and COVID really came about in March, 2020. Like it was there since December, I think, overseas. But for us, it was like March was the real breaking point for us. And I had been giving 110% in every single area of my life um, in that time. I was still doing uni. I was working. I was like 33, 34 weeks pregnant. And I had a toddler. So it was it was a lot. And um, I was waiting for my maternity leave, which was going to be six weeks. Lane was still going to be in daycare three days during that time. And I was just going to have this reprieve. So it was the light at the end of the tunnel that these six weeks were going to be mine to enjoy and rest. I had pregnancy massages booked. I um, I had a baby shower planned and all of this. Um, but then COVID hit and they said that, the people that are most vulnerable are pregnant women and people with respiratory issues. And I was pregnant and Lane, my son had been hospitalized already multiple times with respiratory issues that started off with just a mild cold. So like we made a family decision, right? You can't work at the airport. You need to stay home and look after Lane. So I left work that day and I didn't return And because I was an essential worker, Lane was no longer in daycare. So he was waking up at 4.30 in the morning every day and was just go, go, go. So we made the choice. And this was before the mandates, about four weeks before the mandated lockdowns. And we just had to stay home. I didn't see my family or my friends for four whole weeks. Jordan was still working five days a week. And it was just Lane and myself at home and it was just hectic. Looking back in hindsight is, you know, a wonderful thing. And we know what we know now about COVID, but I wouldn't have left work at that point knowing what it did Mm. to my mental health and just the pressure that it put on me as a mum. So I would never have left work at that point. And I had this crazy, crazy um, goal for myself that uh, Lane wouldn't watch TV until he was two. He wouldn't see the TV on. So he was like a year and a half at this point and there was just absolutely no time for me. It was just waking up at 4.30 and then going to sleep at whatever time. And I was even beginning to resent Jordan for um, being able to go to work and have interaction with other people. And then the lockdowns actually came into place. And so then we were even, you know, more restricted because it wasn't actually just my personal choice or our family's choice. It was just 
the law. So we couldn't do anything. And I can even remember going to the beach when I was like 37 weeks just for like a bike ride with Lane along the beach, not me, Lane, bike riding. Um, And we sat down for a second to have some morning tea. And as soon as I sat down, a man came up and said like, hey, you better get off the beach. Like you're going to get fined for being here. And I'm like, give a lady a break. Like I'm 37 weeks pregnant and I'm doing, you know, exercise with my son, but like I need to sit down for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that was like my experience, like pre-birth. So it, it started off on a bad trajectory. So what do you mean when you say you started feeling off in your pregnancy? What was going through your mind at that time? I just felt super isolated and obviously not very supported because there was no one around me that could give me support. Like I, I physically, I wasn't seeing anyone. So there was no interaction and everyone knows that you can go a little bit crazy just talking yeah. to a toddler all day, every day. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was actually like after the birth that, um, that I really knew that something was wrong before then it was just like, this is a, this was not the second pregnancy that I envisioned for myself, like no baby shower, the shops were all closed. I couldn't even purchase him an outfit, which just, it sounds like a small thing, but it's quite significant because it wasn't like I got to prepare for my second baby and like mentally, you know, do anything that was exciting to look forward to the birth of my child, which really every woman deserves. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. And so you'd given birth then, and did you just think that maybe you had some baby blues and that things would pass? Um, I hoped so. So with Lane, I had baby blues and they lasted about six weeks. Um, and in that moment, it was still very scary because when you don't feel like you and you can't control it, it's just very much a vulnerable state of living in the Mm. unknown and just hoping that one day it just ends and you feel okay. And with Lane, I did, I just, one day I just, I felt a little bit better. And then the next day I felt a little bit better and you know, then I was okay. But with Emerson, I went to my GP for his, I don't know, two, I don't know if it was like two or four week checkup. And she just casually said, Oh, and how are you? And you know, that was just a moment that was just like, I just burst into tears and I had no idea that I was going to be talking about myself in that appointment at all. But I was just inconsolable. And then she obviously did the, um, what do you call it? The questionnaire. Oh, the Edinburgh scale. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, I think that you have postnatal depression. I want you to go on medication. Um, the earlier, the, the sooner, the better. And you need to see a psychologist. And it was just, it was a lot to take in, in that moment. Yeah. Um, but I, I did see a psychologist. I was, adamant that I would try and get help in every way that I could like as in um, I saw my nutritionist as well and I decided you know like get 30 minutes of exercise a day and all that kind of stuff but I I I did definitely want to be proactive about my well-being and fix the problem at hand uh yeah it was just it was just very hard to do that when I didn't want to go on medication and for personal family reasons I didn't want to go on medication um So it took me about a good nine months to finally say yes to medication. So when you saw your psychologist, were they, did they specialize in postnatal depression? 
Yes. So um, I got a referral to a psychologist. And at this time, I don't know if it was everyone, but it was just telehealth. Um, And so I had four sessions with her and she was actually so great. She let me speak about a lot of like, I had a lot of childhood trauma and things happen in my childhood that I needed to get off my chest. Essentially. I had no idea that they related to the mother that I am today and the decisions yeah. that I make and everything like Who that. Yeah. So yeah. it's just crazy to know that now, like everyone needs mm-hmm. to see a psychologist. <laughs> yeah, this is what I say. I'm like, can we just normalize therapy already? Yeah. Like, It's just personal growth and development really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Unless obviously like having severe mental health issues as well is, is a huge factor in yeah. people being able to go and see a therapist and get help as well. But just in general, it's yeah. Right. Um, so she like really validated my experience and showed me, oh, okay, well, it's actually very normal that you're responding in that way because this event in your childhood has led to this, which makes your brain do this and you know so on which it was yeah it was so great um and so I did four sessions with her but after four sessions it was like we had nothing left to say and which is really strange but she was really lovely and she was really good for that period in my life but then I feel like I actually did need to see someone but I needed further help and so that's when I spoke to you and you actually recommended a great psychologist and I saw her and I still see her today and she's actually amazing Um, And we just gel really well. And she actually has like given me the tools to move through the situation, not just understand how my past impacts the present, but also like here's some practical tools to take with you to be able to resolve this issue or to be able to, you know, deal with it head on and things like that and not become overwhelmed and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what I say to people when they are seeking support by a professional it pays off to do your homework and a lot of professionals will use talking therapies, but when you have um, something beyond just being able to talk about and there is an actual condition, you know, personal depression is real. Trauma is real. And there are therapies and remedies besides just having a chat and feeling validated. It goes far beyond that. There are things that these specialists like psychologists and psychiatrists can do um that can give you those tools but also help your brain process and and you know i think people have an odd expectation of it just happening overnight whereas it's like it does require work and energy and time and unfortunately money i wish that you know medicare and things were better with mental health and we treated it just like we did with you know mainstream health and well-being um so having therapists being able to see more people and it not just be for people that can afford it. I think we'd see a massive difference in mental health for sure. Um, But I love that for you. And I'm really happy that you found someone and it really does make a massive difference. It really does in your recovery. Um, What did depression look like for you? What did a day look like? What were you thinking? What were your thoughts? It was really full on so from the very get-go when I left the hospital I was I was crying I didn't want to leave the hospital um I got home every meal that we ate I would I would just end up in tears not like I would just be sitting at the table and I would start crying and I would and then I would feel guilty I'm like don't cry in front of Lane like he's just 
a little boy and he doesn't understand why like mummy's sad and so I would just leave the room but I would just be I'd just be crying at points all day I was just sad I was irritable I was um, like really snappy with Jordan and I was really anxious so that's another thing the psychologist said I think that you have like postnatal anxiety as well so um, I was just anxious about everything. I was anxious about him waking up. I was anxious about Jordan making a sound that would wake him up. Mm. And that that was very much to do with the type of baby that Emerson was. So just to talk a little bit into how he was as a baby, he was very colicky. Um, he pretty much just screamed for five months straight. Um, so whenever he did sleep, obviously it was like, I need you to stay asleep um he only napped on me for five months so I had to stand up and hold him he did two 30 minute naps a day from the time he was a newborn until he was five months old and if I would sit down he would wake up so I would have to stay standing up and like um rocking him um he screamed every time he got in the car and not just like a normal like cry it was like hysterical to the point that he would be choking on his own saliva that he, he was just that hysterical and when daycare opened back up again for lane our daycare is only 10 minutes away and it would end up with me crying by the time I got there because the drive was just so hectic and stressful with him screaming um one time I thought you know what I'm just gonna do it I'm gonna drive down to the Gold Coast I there was like this really nice hair place I wanted to do like something different and so I booked an appointment there and obviously Emerson doesn't take a bottle and he was like six weeks old or something and I was like he will just sleep he'll cry it'll be okay but he'll sleep and so for two hours on the way down and two hours on the way back he just screamed and it was just like that was the most stressful time um but yeah beyond that he was diagnosed with failure to thrive when he was six months old he went from the 75th percentile then he dropped to the 50th 25th 15th third and then he was off the charts so we had to do lots of testing in that area um he had a test allergy testing it came back with no allergies however he had a lot of intolerances so I had to cut out all this food out of my diet because he was solely breastfed so he reacted to anything and it's just funny because they'll say like dietitians will say the research shows that like not enough gets through the breast milk for them to really react like unless they have an allergy but it's like I could I could see the difference it made in him screaming all night and so I had to cut out you know all the FODMAPs like broccoli cauliflower garlic onion chickpeas any lentils I cut out dairy gluten and I didn't eat that for a year so my diet was so limited as well I just didn't want to have anything that would upset him, which would then have him screaming for days on end. So I cut all that out. But then he had a blood test to, you know, further rule out stuff uh, for the failure to thrive. And they found that he had selective IgA deficiency, which actually doesn't relate at all to the failure to thrive. But it's just another condition where he doesn't produce any antibodies to illness. So he'll just always be getting sick. And they said it's something that he can grow out of by the time he's seven, but it's also something he might have for the rest of his life. So there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. (laughs) What the heck? So it's like you're trying to not only take in all of this, struggling with your own mental health, 
you have a baby and a toddler that need you every second of the day. Yeah. And despite what you'd already been through prior to all of this. Yeah. It kind of, it to me, it's like if you didn't have postnatal depression, I would think something's wrong with you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds really bad yeah. to say, but it's like I – I completely understand why, why why you would have it. Like, yeah, absolutely. It was, it was so incredibly overwhelming. Like it felt like I was in survival mode every single day. Um, he wouldn't take a bottle either. He, he wouldn't just not take a bottle. Like it was so stressful. We had people come over to the house to try and see if he would take a bottle multiple times, um, take him up to the room, put some music on, make it really calm. I'd leave the house. Like we tried everything. We bought all all the different bottles for him. Um, and he would just scream and cry and go like rigid as a board and just refuse to take it. And it was just too much anxiety for both of us to have to try and force this bottle on him. So yeah, he breastfed for every two hours until he was one. Um, and then, so not only that, you're also severely sleep deprived on top of all of this. Yeah. And I actually, I couldn't go anywhere. So like I try and go to Pilates and it was like, okay, well I better just feed him just before I go. And like, this is like when he's like six or nine months old and you think surely you can leave your baby for a couple of hours with your husband. But when they don't take a bottle, there's nothing that you can do. And they're feeding every two hours. And then... Of course, on top of that, he had a feeding aversion. So we started solids when he was five months old and he didn't take two solids at all. He would just cry in the high chair, turn his head away. And we just thought, oh, okay, like, you know, it'll be fine. It's just early days. So at six months, like we we still tried every now and then, but we didn't want to stress him out. But then when he was six months he was still not taking solids, seven months. And I was just, you know, Googling everything like, baby not taking solids at seven months old like what's the go um and it just kept coming up food aversion and so I was actually able to get in contact with someone who had a similar situation with their baby and they called me and um it was a mutual friend and that was really lovely um they gave me the advice of going to a hospital nearby and going to a feeding clinic. And so it's a multidisciplinary approach, which combines OT, speech pathologist, and pediatric dietitian all in one, and they assess your baby. And so the wait list to get in there was quite long as well, but I finally saw them when he was about one. And so they assessed him and they diagnosed him with a feeding aversion. And from there, we have been doing this feeding therapy ever since so now he's a year and a half and we go to the Marta hospital like every six weeks or so it was every month to begin with and then now it's every six weeks I just had an appointment a couple weeks ago and so he is doing well now he's eating Mm. he's a picky eater he's incredibly fussy but he has come back up from not being on the charts to being on the 25th percentile which Mm. is so great like it's more than I can ask for Um, yeah yeah so that was just an absolute lot to deal with and then the thought of going back to work and financial stresses in that time where we had no idea if he was going to start eating solids at all like what was going to happen to him there was even talks about him going on a feeding tube 
like before I got into the feeding clinic. Wow. So it was it was the most hectic time. And then to think about, all right, you can't not be at work. Like you need to earn money. You can't live on one wage forever. That was just another spanner in the works that added more stresses. Um, but it was just thankfully a very timely situation with getting into the Marta hospital and sorting those problems out and then starting work when he was ready and he did take a bottle in the end and yeah it's a lot (laughs) as if you haven't been through enough yeah did you feel angry about any of this um I feel angry for you I felt like I'd been handed like dealt a bad card you know what I mean like yeah to be honest, there were times that were really, really dark days when I would say, like, I just, I wish I never got pregnant this time around. Like, it was, it would have just been so much easier if none of this ever happened. Um, obviously, now I don't think that. And um, I've obviously worked through a lot of those emotions. And my life is a lot easier now that I have a child that eats and takes a bottle and things yes. and sleeps, <laughs> which is amazing. But um, yeah. there were very dark days in the beginning. And yeah. did you ever think about hurting yourself? I just thought all the time, I don't want to be here. I don't know what that looks like, but I don't yeah. want to be here. And so I did say to the psychologist, like, I don't really know what that means. Interpret it as you will. But yeah, I just don't feel like I want to be here. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's a very valid thing to say. Yeah. Because how does anybody just keep going willingly yeah. <laughs> through all of that? It It is torture almost. And it is so crazy because through all of this I still didn't let Lane watch TV so it was like that you know those goals these mum goals that we have and we just have to stick to for no apparent reason like no one knows that Lane didn't watch TV until he was two but it was just this mental goal that I had for myself and if I didn't reach it I would feel like a failure so if I could go back and do it again, I would have been like, let the kid watch an hour's TV today. Have a break. Like, yeah. just mindlessly sit there. Um, it's like sometimes we just have to do whatever we can to get through. Yeah, and that's like... Guilt-free. Yeah, and that's the, <laughs> like, you know, that's not like the worst thing in the world, like letting a no. child watch play school. So yeah. um, if I could go back... I understand. I understand that, though. Like, there are things that you we hold on to because well that they're the things that we value and the things yeah. that that we wanted as a mother and the type of mum that we wanted to be so i i understand i do as hard as it would be to do that <laughs> throughout all of that as well um but i wanted to ask did you feel supported throughout this time family friends you said that you sought professional help at the time but was there any other kind of support to you um, so Jordan obviously was an amazing support. He just, yeah. he just wanted me to yeah get help, professional help. And he didn't want me to feel like this. And it was hard for him. You know, guys like to fix things. So he was just, he was just sad that he had to see his wife like that. And he couldn't do anything about it to change. So he just helped in any way that he could during that time, like took on, I think he took an extra two weeks off work in that initial period but he also then took random days off here and there just to help out and that was that was really necessary in that time 
Um, and then on top of that, I had one really good friend who was actually due the week before me, funnily enough, but, um, yeah, our babies are like a week and a half apart and she was such a good support for me. Like I just messaged her whenever I needed to, I told her whatever was going on and she would just like drop around a meal for me and just, you know, stuff like that, that it really matters in that time that you do have someone that you can talk to without judgment and let know whatever is going on for you you were hesitant to go on medication you were saying before but you continued your psychotherapy throughout what made you change your mind um at around nine months postpartum I just it was like I can't live in fight or flight mode anymore like I'm just on edge all the time I'm trying to deal with all of this stuff which is like it's very warranted that I did feel like that anyway. But um, I was just like, I, I need some extra help. Like I can't do this on my own. So I decided to take the medication and I think it took about like four to six weeks to start working. But when it did, it felt like I wasn't drowning anymore. Mm. Yeah. Okay, and because they say when you take medication, sometimes you go backwards before you go forwards. I didn't have that. I was really worried okay. about that, actually. Yeah. I, I forgot about that. But, yeah, thinking back, I was like, you know, I'm just going to turn into this mad woman in this next four weeks, like even worse mm. than I was. But, no, I um I didn't have that, so I was really lucky. Yeah. And so that you started it at roughly nine months, you said. Yeah. He's 18 months now. Yeah. How are you feeling now? I feel good. I actually feel, um, I feel busier than ever, like for different reasons. Like I've taken on study and I've gone back to work and I'm juggling being a mom. Um, but at the same time, I feel mentally in a better space than ever. I am, I can deal with the juggle and, you know, studying gives me my own outlet. Uh, and I love studying and I love learning and I love reading. So yeah. And going to work gives me a good break. So I don't know, even though I'm busy in a different way, I feel better than ever. Yeah. Are you still taking medication? Yeah, I am. And I don't know when I will come off it. I guess that's a Mm -hmm. decision that I'll make like between myself, the GP and the psychologist. But, um, Yeah, it's not something that I'm in a rush to get off, which is funny because in the beginning I didn't want to go on it at all. But, yeah, now I just – I see the importance of it and the place that it has in recovery. Research shows as well psychotherapy and medication together as a combination treatment is actually more effective than just one or the other. Yeah, I can see why. Because when you come off the medication, if you were solely taking medication, you might not have those tools that you've learned in therapy to, you know, deal with the situations that that arise that were similar to the past experiences that got you to where you were. So, yeah. yeah, having those tools, those practical tips from a psychologist. What will you always remember about that time? Um, I think that I, I will take away a positive outlook on the situation because I overcame adversity. And in the future, if I ever find myself in the same situation and I know that I'm able to come out the other side, like right now mm. I'm, I'm feeling really good and... I did the work and I'm putting the work. So I know that I can come out the other side. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We're stronger than we think. Yeah. Definitely. Do you feel like you have any emotional scars from that time? Um, 
Honestly, I this is just so random, but if I hear a baby cry, I actually have PTSD. I and it, and it's <laughs> and it's truthful. Like yeah. I I have even spoken about that with the psychologist. I'm like, if I if I hear it, if I hear a baby's shrill newborn cry, it sends like absolute anxiety through my body. And some people go, Oh, it's such a cute cry. I hate I hate it when people say that. I hate yeah. it. Um, but yeah, that's like really something that has stuck with me and I still notice now. It's like a trigger, I guess. Mm. Um, but other than that, um, I am just a little bit scared if we do decide to have a third, what that postpartum period will look like. Yeah. Usually when we're preparing for motherhood, so preconception, pregnancy, preparing for birth and postpartum, we have this specific idea or expectation about what motherhood or birth or pregnancy is going to look like for us. What came as a shock to you becoming a mother? Uh, That is a loaded question for you because you've had so much go on. (laughs) The whole thing is just a whole, yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So what was a shock to me was the lack of time to yourself. And yes. having early rises, that that really is like a shock to the system. Like I'm an, I was always getting up early. Like I used to do early shifts for, for work before I got pregnant. So I would be waking up at, I don't know, whatever time. But I have in the last three years have never woken up because I have woken up. I've been woken up by a toddler for three and a bit years. And yeah, um, I haven't slept past... I don't know, 5.45 in the morning, which that's actually quite late for Lane. So, um, yeah, so that, but the, just a general lack of time, like you kind of feel, you know, guilty for having a shower and washing your hair or, you know, it's just the guilt that comes with motherhood. That actually is a big thing. The guilt that comes with motherhood, that was a shock to me. Yeah. Um, but also I was a little bit shocked at how much of an advocate for mothers I feel like I've become. Yeah, I just feel like, you know, every mother just goes through their own challenges and every challenge is, you know, it's their own story and they have the right to tell it. It's no one's yeah. opportunity to just say, no, my, my journey was harder or you have no idea what you're doing. It's just like everyone has their own journey and everyone deserves to be heard. Yeah, absolutely. I am with you yeah. 100%. And I like what you said about mum guilt because I remember saying to my husband after my firstborn, I was like, mum guilt is the realest thing I have ever felt yes. in my life. I I don't know how to get rid of it. I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know where it comes from or why I feel this way. And then I'm thinking, does everybody feel this yeah. way? Like it, it can sucks. be very confusing. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But something interesting about guilt in motherhood as well actually find like this is obviously just my own observation this is not (laughs) advice or (laughs) legitimate at all this is just me um observing yeah conversations and others um I actually feel like guilt feeds into a lot of these mental health conditions that we struggle with pre and postnatally because I just feel like guilt is such a trigger for this vicious cycle where your head can sit at 
And I'm not saying if you cure it, you're cured of any mental health disorder or anything like that. I'm just saying, I feel like it is just such a huge contributing factor to the way that we feel. It is the realest thing that you could ever feel. Absolutely. I can remember speaking to my initial psychologist and it was over a situation like I had absolutely gone nuts that Jordan over uh, he um went to the toilet in the middle of the night and Emerson was like I don't know two months old and he switched the light on in the bathroom and that was just like what are you doing no um I I I, I absolutely (laughs) lost it and I had so much anxiety um yes yeah that I didn't sleep for the rest of the night I was like he's going to wake up soon and, and and that's why I was diagnosed with the post natal anxiety as well as the depression because I actually think yeah. most of it was around the anxiety um yeah. so I was so scared that he's gonna wake up and I didn't go back to sleep I was like he's just gonna wake up he's gonna wake up I even had a shower I was just and I was so furious at Jordan for you know making a simple mistake of turning the light on and when I spoke to the psychologist about this and she said she was like and what would happen if he woke up and then we went through all of this and it turns out like well, then I won't be a good mum the next day because then I won't have a good sleep. And then I'll have to – and then she's like, well, if you don't if you don't have a good sleep, what would you do? And I, I said I would want to drop Lane to daycare. And she said, and why can't you do that? And it's like, well, I'm a bad mum because I'm at home. Why am I dropping him to daycare? And then it's just like it stems from this inner guilt and that just yeah. feeds into your every move. Absolutely. Yeah. It's interesting because you've brought anxiety up a lot, but whenever I've spoken to you, you've only ever mentioned postnatal depression. Now, I absolutely believe that they are two whole separate things, but they can be interconnected and that's common. Generally, when someone has postnatal depression, they can have postnatal anxiety or vice versa, but they absolutely are different conditions that need different remedies and therapies and treatments. And so as part of your treatment, do you feel like you've had the depression targeted and the anxiety targeted separately? Uh, yes, because like the um, practical things that we put in place are more for the anxiety, whereas the depression side of it, I think it really came from my circumstances, like yes. not, not sleeping, um, having a really, really difficult baby that wouldn't eat or, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like I've moved out of that depression window as my circumstances have resolved themselves and talking about them with her was really therapeutic. Um, But then the anxiety side of things, I think I still have that um, and I just have to watch it, you know, and monitor it and make sure that I can stay on top of it. I'm just grateful that, I have a really supportive husband that did want me to get help as well for my own well-being as well as, um, you know, the kids and things like that. But, yeah, I'm just lucky that I had him supporting me in every step of the way, wanting me to see the psychologist, like to get help, to sort out everything that was going on. Yeah. Did you feel like you were quite self-aware? I'm such a self-aware person. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and I'm the same as you in the way that I think we've both spoken about this before, um, that if there's a problem, I'm going to fix it. Like if someone says like, if I said to you like, hey, I've got this issue and you're like, oh, I know this person who will fix it. I'll be like, great, like tee me up. I'm going to see them. Whereas yeah. I know a lot of people are like, mm, okay, maybe. Yeah. And then they're still talking about the issue. Whereas I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, 
there are things that we can do people like yeah so yeah. I'm just I'm someone that's really self-aware and I always just do what I can so yeah like proactive yeah. in that sense as well yeah yeah so what would you say to a mum who was struggling with personal depression and or anxiety right now um I would say it's not a straightforward process so be mm. kind and compassionate to yourself because you know during this process where you are getting better and getting treatment um you might have really bad days in that time but just know that that's not going to be forever um and don't be afraid to seek help if you know what whatever you're doing on your own isn't working for you definitely connect with a mother's group or reach out to your gp get a referral through a psychologist and ask for help Yeah. yeah big time and i actually do have some advice for mother uh, people that are visiting new mothers um, yes go for it <laughs> i just it's not the time to sit down and have them make you a cup of tea you know pick up the washing and put it in if someone was to ask me would you like me to do your washing for you i'm gonna say no but really i'm like over my head here like just chuck it in for me. So if you're going to go visit a new mother, you know, bring them over some food, you make the tea if you want to, um, do the washing, you know, clean the kitchen, just help out. It's, it's not hard, but it actually will mean the world to that mother who has Mm -hmm. one less chore on her plate as well as caring for a newborn. Absolutely. Oh, how I wish that was the norm. It's a lot to do alone. Yeah. yeah. And people like Jordan says to me, like, we can't rely on other people. We decided they're our own kids, but it's just like, it takes a village to raise a ki- yeah. raise kids. And that's yeah. what it was like. You could rely on the people around you to help you. And now you can't. And it's like, if you will, if you can't do it alone, then you're not a good mother. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So if you could go back, what would you say to yourself or want to say to yourself at that time? Um, I would say to myself, to just go on the medication and give yourself a break. It was such a big deal for me to go on medication and now I'm on it. I don't know, just feeling like I can breathe again and be a good mother and, you know, to have my own time and do my own things as well and be able to juggle that normally is a really nice feeling. But I would also say to myself that although it feels like it's going to be forever, it's not going to be forever. And this doesn't define who you are as a mother. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and being so open and vulnerable. It can be hard sometimes to, I guess, be this honest about our struggles, but I am a big believer in sharing our stories when we're ready um, because of the impact that can have on other people and just even helping other people understand and possibly change their perspective about things. And like you were saying, you're so like pro mum. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I totally get that. And yeah, you're, you're helping by sharing your story. So th- thanks. Shereen. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you're listening and would like to share your story with us or feel compelled to talk about issues surrounding women's health, please don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. You can find us at The Power of Birth on Instagram and Facebook or on our website, thepowerofbirth.net. If you loved this episode, we would love it if you left us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on and share us with your family and friends. The conversation has to start somewhere. Thank you again for listening and we hope you join us in the next episode.